jinkies. Oh, what's that gross book made out of skin? It's not a book. It's a tome made out of skin. Ew. What's it say? Behold the collected apocrypha of Stacy Ponder, the writer for Final Girl. And Anthony Hudson, the programmer for Queer Horror. And together they are... Oh my god! Don't read it out loud! Don't read it out loud! Gay Well, lordy lordy, it's episode 40. <laughs> it's episode 40, 40. Episode 40, 40. First of all, I I feel like my voice is wrecked right now. I was and... going to ask, but I figured I'd yeah. for the air when we were recording. <laughs> yeah, I my voice is wrecked. I don't know why. Um, I feel like I sound like Brenda Vaccaro. Which it's a is... good look. Yeah, that's a reference for all of our 65 and older listeners, I guess. <laughs> As of which usual. There are legion. Right, but I am aware that I sound like this. So please forgive me. Uh, I can't help it. It's how God made me. Wait, say cockroach. Cockroach. Oh, you don't sound like Natasha Leone. I was hoping that maybe you would. <laughs> what is the cockroach? There we go. There's the golden blonde girl I know. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I just <laughs> that's my Natasha Leone impression. Hey, I'm Natasha Leone, cockroach. <laughs> Who left all these Russian dolls in my house? <laughs> yeah, but just uh as of yesterday, this is what I sound like. So So first of all, I did have two realizations. Yeah, okay. In the in the recent hours. First of all, I saw a billboard for Annabelle, the new one. <laughs> that's now what it's I called know. Annabelle the new one yeah. <laughs> it might as well be right like, <laughs> I saw a billboard now I know you saw this movie I did see it It's a. I saw this film actually oh I'm sorry you saw it's this, a film. this work this, this work this, Annabelle uh, the new one entry in a auteur's legacy <laughs> yeah <laughs> well here's here was what I thought I thought it's my relationship with Annabelle. Like, are we in the first season of like like a sitcom or something where we hate each other, but two seasons from now we're gonna be in love and everybody's yes. gonna be like, you guys were in love the whole time, you just didn't realize it. Like, yes. the, like during season one, you're like, why don't they just kiss already? Yeah. But all we do is fight. I feel like that's how it is because for someone who quote unquote doesn't like Annabelle a lot I'm kind of obsessed with it <laughs> I talk about it all the time you do <laughs> so maybe I just need to like search my feelings I know it to be true I think you need to go into that Yoda tree and confront your <laughs> mirror golem Stacy as well as little Annabelle who who is wearing a country music uh, hat a cowboy hat I guess they're called <laughs> and she carries a little guitar with her because this is a fantasy I have after seeing the last movie <laughs> and yeah. you will you will establish a rapport finally and the two will finally embrace and dos become uno I think so I think and- uh, Stacey I saw you posting that insta story of you zooming in on Annabelle <laughs> I know what was I that said- 
For, what was that manicure of hers? She doesn't have those nails in, the, in that movie. <laughs> I, yeah, I think Yoda is going to, like, call me over. And I'm going to be like, what, Yoda? And he's going to say, there is another Annabelle movie. <laughs> and then he's going to die. <laughs> and I'll have to go watch the new, like, Annabelle the next new one. Like, Annabelle's I just, in I after just, that. I feel like maybe it's time to just admit it, you know? You love Annabelle. I think I love Anna. I think I'm in love with Annabelle. Here's the thing. So my friend uh, Destiny, who I, I work with at the theater, uh, she is obsessed with Annabelle, and I cannot understand because she has love. She has really great taste in films. Like, um, and she's always talking up these like uh, just movies that otherwise I'd never would have heard of, made by like women filmmakers from way back in the day. And she's just like she has great film knowledge, but she also loves Annabelle. And I'm so confused. <laughs> we went and saw Annabelle together. And you just have to be with someone that just understands Annabelle as that part of the zeitgeist. So, for example, Destiny made um, t-shirts that have Annabelle on it. And then she wrote misandrist icon <laughs> above it. <laughs> and I now am also falling in love with Annabelle. She doesn't do anything. <laughs> she doesn't do anything and maybe i admire that she is a fem icon why am i working my fucking ass off when i could just be sitting in a chair haunting men (laughs) yeah i just like i i mean i've always loved killer doll movies obviously well but usually they kill or do something yeah exactly (laughs) usually they do something and so it's like annabelle and usually like if it's supposed to be a little kid's doll or something usually they're made to be cute like chucky was made to be cute you know like yeah whatever at least in the first one yeah annabelle's fucking hideous right like (laughs) why does she look like that because she's a femme icon (laughs) she's a femme icon she doesn't care obviously no so my thing is like, you know, I'm not a huge fan of the, of the Conjuring and all that, but it's become this huge thing. And so I think I was just anti-Annabelle from the start because I'm like, oh, we need a Conjuring spinoff now. And here's this <laughs> ugly doll and she doesn't even do anything. Meanwhile, I never even saw the first movie. And then I told you that I sneakily watched the other one with the hot nun in it. And I'm like, yeah, she was and hot. I kind of liked it. Because it was kind of good, right? Because it was kind of good. And then I see these billboards and I'm like, I better do an Insta story about that billboard. <laughs> and it's just like, Stacey, why don't you just, why don't you just stop pulling her pigtails on the fucking playground and tell her that you want to go out with her? Like, <laughs> because somehow I bring it up every episode just to mention how much I don't like it. Yeah, okay. I'm pretty convinced. I'm pretty convinced. So, You're in love. I think I'm in love, actually. This is the beginning of a beautiful relationship. I, I actually, I feel like, you know, uh, hefty bag over here, protest, protest, protest. <laughs> but on the other end of this recording session, which obviously we're, we're just in a really dark room in the same mansion together. But at oh, the yeah. other end of the dark table, because we don't have power anymore because we couldn't afford it because <laughs> we don't have any sponsors you're you're sitting there at the other end of this table this our long stately table and you're currently you bought the replica doll and you're brushing her hair i know it well i will can you hear the soft gentle whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. i can and it's well it she's and- not gonna fucking brush it herself she doesn't do anything no, she doesn't do anything she just stares vacantly in the space <laughs> She's the Terry Shivo of haunted dolls, and, and I love her for that. She's taught. I've learned. I'm 
what was it? One taught me love, one taught me pain, one taught me whatever. <laughs> Ariana yes. Grande says that's Annabelle for me. <laughs> yeah, she's taught me all of them. <laughs> I I, uh, um, I have decided after seeing the third movie because I will tell you the third movie. I definitely liked the second one more. I think um, the third one uh, is it's it's fine. Um, it's cute. It's fun. Uh, but Annabelle is literally as much as we say about Annabelle not doing anything, like she's barely, I don't even know why this is called Annabelle. Cause she's barely even in it. And it's, <laughs> it's just like a greatest hits of the Warren B sides. So it's like all the other haunted things coming to oh, life. Okay. Um, which is actually really cute. It's not scary. It's not suspenseful. Um, but I thought it was cute. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm telling you at the interest of this conversation and at Destiny's urging, I'm going to go back and I'm going to watch the first one. I'm going to do it. I think it. I'm, I, honestly, I think I'm going to as well. I'm going to do it. And then now that I'm, that. now that I've like outed myself as an yeah. Annabelle, like Annabelle lover, wait I don't for, even know how it happened. It, it, listen, every now and then a doll comes along. <laughs> Once in a lifetime. Once in a lifetime, a doll is born. Just like they say in Lords of Salem. And yeah. <laughs> and you look at those eyes across the room, and you hear that you hear the twang of her guitar as she's strumming it for you. I I just wasn't expecting it, but it was it was a, an actual realization that I had. So, <laughs> well, I am I I'm I think we've both demonstrated some growth in the last couple of episodes, and yeah, I'm prou- I'm proud so. to hear of this development. Thank you, thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, it, here's the thing: I'm never gonna stand for I'm never gonna stand the nun. No. I'm not I'm not standing the crooked man or whatever the next one is or La Llorona. No. No. And you know, I like the first conjuring. I couldn't do the second one. Lord knows I love Vera Formica though. But uh also, is there no drag queen named Vera Formica? <laughs> there should be. There should be, thank you. And and she wears the Puritan dresses and wraps the rosaries around her hands. It would be oh <laughs> so good. it'd be so good. But you know, I forgot where I was going with it, but I like Annabelle. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I don't know what to say. I'm just going to live my truth, I guess. We're going to both be wearing our Annabelle Messengers icon shirts. <laughs> the time. I think so. Oh, boy. Well. Oh, well. What are you going to do? You know? You're going to watch Annabelle 1. That's yeah. what you're going to do. <laughs> I am going to do it. Good I'm job. Do it. Good job, Stace. Proud I'm going to do it real soon. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna watch it too. Maybe we should do an Annabelle episode. <laughs> I think we should. After we after we talk talk our big game about how we don't like any of these new I was new lured in movies. by I was lured in by a hot nun. What do you want me yeah. to do? You Is know? Annabelle home? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, she, she is. She just sits there. She just she sits there. Do Every now and then she'll leave a note that says, miss me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there you go. So that was only one realization. You want to hear the other one? Here's the other one. I I do. Is that, well, my new kink is uh, going through my Facebook memories whenever they pop up and deleting them all. And I'm hoping (laughs) that the past will catch up to the present and... I don't know. I'll just disappear in a wormhole or something. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, one came up recently. 
and I could not believe my eyeballs. But then, but then slowly I could believe my eyeballs and I was like, oh yeah, oh yeah. It was from 2013. I copied all of this before I deleted it. Uh, tonight's movie, this is my big update. Tonight's movie is <clears throat> dot com for murder. Oh, wow. Starring Nastasia Kinski. Yes. Nicolette Sheridan and Roger oh. Daltrey. And mere words cannot describe how excited I am. Wow. <laughs> then I updated with some comments as I was watching it. And those comments are, Julie Strain is in this shit show too. How perfect. <laughs> Oh my god, the killer is naked and using a light-up pink keyboard to access the internet. Oh my god, Nastasia Kinski's uber-fancy modern house has a static electricity ball from Spencer's gifts on display. <laughs> and finally, this was in all capital letters, oh my god, Huey Lewis is an FBI agent. What? <laughs> what? And that was my final comment. So all I can assume is that I died in 2013 <laughs> while watching Dot Com for Murder, and, and just surprise, <laughs> yeah, surprise after surprise and shock after shock clearly killed me. <laughs> and since then, I've been wandering the earth, trapped in a purgatory. And I can only hope that my newfound love of Annabelle will set me free. It will. That's when that. That's when you two embrace, and then everything lights up, and you go to the light. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Tangina spouts off yeah. some shit, and then I yeah. just disappear. <laughs> <laughs> and then Lorraine Warren goes. The evil is contained. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it it was a little like I did honestly feel a little like Bruce Willis in The Sixth Sense because I was like, oh my god, I've been dead this whole time. It it honestly tracks. Yeah, it so makes complete sense to me. Wow. So what you're saying is we need to watch dot com for murder. Like clearly, right uh, the killer is naked and using a light up pink keyboard to access the internet. I mean, also, and Natasha Kinski and I have the exact same interior design aesthetic, so <laughs> I can't wait. Well, and you know, it's been too long since we did an I, an internet horror episode. Yeah, I think it's time to refresh. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> you see that? Wow, I quit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you is control alt delete. Oh, no. Bye. <laughs> Drag that to the trash. Oh, God, Stacy, why? <laughs> <laughs> I love the internet. Oh, you do. We need to get back into it. I think so. I think it's maybe, time. Maybe after after we uh, complete LGBTQ Revenge Month. Here we are in Revenge Month, finally. Yeah, LGBTQ Revenge Month is on, and um, I have to say... We are we are booting up this month with, <laughs> God damn it, with um, two, what might be perfect films. I think so. It's a good and, way to start off. Perfect tales of revenge, mm -hmm. and uh, perfect perfect perfection. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yes. Finally bumped the perfection up the list to watch it. Because you messaged me frantically in the middle of the night in all caps. (laughs) I did. Saying, Anthony, oh my God, you need to watch this film. Well, I didn't know what to expect because I had heard that it's got some twists and stuff. So only watch it like if you don't know what's going on. It's so much better. And uh, that's what I did. And boy, oh boy, the trailers make it look like. I don't know, like a crazy obsessed uh, lover kind of situation, right? Yeah, I thought it was going to be like like a Black Swan adjacent film. Like a, a notes on a scandal uh, kind of thing. Right, yes. Sexy lesbian rivalry. Uh, right, and yeah. Cello, like maybe we have some art vibes, Alice Asperia, um, but something just like someone gets fingered and then there's glances from across rooms with suspicious music or something is what I expected. <laughs> yeah. I was expecting, you know, someone gets fingered and then gets angry. Yeah. 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 And I'd be like, what is this college again? No, <laughs> I've been through this one too. Been through this plenty of times. I'm good. But uh, <laughs> it's, you know, it uh, really surprised me to the point where I felt all caps messages were necessary to get you to watch it. And honestly, they were. And boy, was I in a state of all caps as I watched this. Both J- <laughs> Jason yeah. and I were at the, I honestly, like, I was on the edge of my seat the entire film. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I loved it. Me too. I loved it. Yeah, I think I said to you, I don't think I've ever said, what the fuck? So many times. (laughs) Over the course of the movie. Just like that three-year-old on YouTube. (laughs) Yeah. What the fuck? (laughs) Because it just goes places you don't expect at all. So this movie, I guess before we spoil it, we should say watch The Perfection. Watch The Perfection on Netflix before you listen to this, because... It deserves for you not to know anything about it. Yeah. And also, like, everybody's talking about it. It came out, like, last month. Um, and and everyone is talking about how crazy this movie is. So if you want to be part of that zeitgeist, you really have to watch it. Um, yeah. And just trust you will have a good time, I think. I feel mm-hmm. like you will. Uh, and with that said, how do we even explain what this movie is about? <laughs> like... I mean... <laughs> Because it it goes so many places. It goes so many places, back and forth through time. It plays with your expectations. It plays with... Uh, it lets you know that what you just saw isn't really what you just saw. It rewinds itself multiple times, but like in a way kind of unlike funny games where I don't want to die. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, Al- what's, I don't even know the character names. I didn't write them down. I, just I didn't, know, I didn't, I didn't I don't write down either. a single thing for this movie. I didn't no, I wrote them. Allison Williams, Logan Browning. That's it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just didn't take notes because I wasn't intending for it to be like, t- to react the way I did and to talk about it on the show. I was just like, well, I guess I'll watch this finally. And I couldn't have taken notes because I was biting my nails the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. So Allison Williams is a, she was a cello prodigy, but her mother took sick. And so she quit her, she like left the cello school and gave up her career to sit with her dying mother for like 10 years. Her so mother I just have to 
I sorry, oh, yeah. I just have to side note. Like that opening scene, I was like, okay, this is already Suspiria and the haunting. Tell me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Yeah. So you you get the idea that something wasn't quite right. Like uh Allison Williams's character uh is in and out of mental hospitals. Like it's clearly been a tough time for her, right? Yeah. But she, she reconnects with her old cello teacher and ends up going to Taiwan where they're having a big they're gonna get some new students so there's like a big ceremony and the new prodigy superstar of the world played by Logan Browning is there and it turns out that they knew each other from passing glances at the school a decade prior when they were both teenagers which is uh correct me if i'm wrong how most lesbians know each other is passing glances passing gl- is what, it's all words. this is what film people. horror films have taught me <laughs> Yeah, yeah. When you you know, just uh, we know a passing glance when we see one, right? Like, yeah, yeah. It's it's crucial. Yeah, <clears throat> it's how people. It's how the gays communicate. It, honestly, actually, yes, it is. <laughs> honestly, it actually is. Like, it, it, and it's it, such a big thing in gay cinema too, because you know, it's it must go unspoken. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about this more when we get to today's question too. We sure will. Yeah, so uh, immediately there's, like, sexual tension between the two of them. Um, They end up sleeping together, spending the night together. And the next day, Logan Browning's character is like, I'm going on a crazy, like, two-week vacation, um, playing it real rough. Like, I'm not staying in nice hotels or whatever. I'm going to take a bus out into the middle of nowhere, kind of off the grid here. Uh, And why don't you come with me? It's a eat, pray, puke bugs. Oh boy. <laughs> and from there it just <laughs> I was like immediately I'm like, Jason, I thought this was gonna be Black Swan and it's like cabin fever? What is happening? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wish I we should look up their names. Logan Browning like gets sick on the bus and she starts puking bugs. She thinks it's a hangover at first. But she starts puking everywhere and there's bugs in her vomit and they get kicked off the bus and they're in the middle of nowhere. Oh, it's so gross. It's really disgusting. And it might be like, <laughs> it's implied after someone else pukes. And it, when they puke, they puke like this viscous yellow. It almost looks like they're puking up eggs. Yeah. And it's just disgusting. And there, it's implied that it's the 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 virus that was going around in, in Hunan or Hunan. Yeah. Hunan. In the Hunan, Hunan province, there was a, a virus going around. And so that's what you assume is happening. It's and like this Ebola are... thing. Yeah. And as a viewer, you're like, oh, my God, is this turning into like a zombie movie or something? Yeah. yeah it's fever? very like, where is this going? Yeah. Like cabin fever, body horror. Like what? Yeah. They're on a bus. Nobody speaks English. It's really confrontational and uncomfortable. They get off the bus and then... Yeah, they're in the middle of nowhere because you kind of, ass- I mean, I picked up on it because I thought this was going to be like a, the way the trailer makes it seem is, yeah, maybe they're lovers or whatever, but Allison Williams is crazy and yes. is going to do some. And I'm like, is it going to be a high tension kind of thing? Like, she's obviously just a cuckoo nutso. Allison Williams is Charlotte and then Logan Browning is Lizzie. I'm surprised I forgot Lizzie's oh, name. Yeah. They, sh- they showed her name a lot. Yeah. Okay. So. Charlotte has been giving Lizzie pills, you know, oh supposedly ibuprofen, but we know that it's not. It's like medication of some kind. And so you start to think like, okay, she's obviously making her sick. 
you know, with these pills. That's what's actually going on. But then once they showed the bugs in it, I was like, okay, maybe that's not what's going on. Like, what's happening? Yeah, what is happening? What's happening? They get off the bus. They're literally in the middle of nowhere. Like, abandoned. Completely abandoned as this bus drives off. And Alice and William's Charlotte has a meat cleaver. Because that she just that, pulls up. That she just pulls out <laughs> of her backpack. Uh, because at this point, Lizzie, there's bugs coming. Like, you can see them crawling under her skin and all of this. And so to stop the infection, Al, uh, Charlotte is like, you know what you have to do. And she cuts off her hand. But then it rewinds. And it's like, yeah, that's what you saw. But maybe that's not what happened. And it's just this. I just is such a fucking it's like trashy. It's completely bonkers. The places it goes. It's like Mm -hmm. I've kind of never really seen anything like it. It's like a it's like it's like Brian De Palma at his trashiest. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, like absolutely. like passion level Brian De Palma meets Park Chan Wook. That was like all I could think of. Like by oh the end, by the end of it. <laughs> you know what it reminded me a lot of um, was Martyrs. Actually, <laughs> like oh. very different films, but like the weird kind of religious element that comes in later, um, and and especially the the story beats and how quickly things change. Because, like, I remember the first time the first time I saw Martyrs, I was like, oh, this is a home invasion movie. And I was like, oh, wait, no, it's a demon movie. Oh, wait, no, it's a it's a revenge movie. Oh, wait, no, it's a it's a psychology like trauma movie. Oh, no, it's a torture film. Oh, no, it's what? (laughs) Like, yeah, yeah. It changes every single act or multiple times within the same act. And this kind of does a similar thing. Um, Yeah. And it does it so well to kind of keep you in the dark and then immediately like just it, like it, the film literally rewinds and you see the exact same things play out with like a different perspective kind of. With a, a little bit more information than what you originally had. Yeah. So you know what's really going on and it just ends up going places you really don't expect. At all. At all. Until by the end of the movie, it's fucking, it's the sequel to Boxing Helena. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's a lesbian epic. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I was screaming. I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, it's so much fun, like, getting where it's going. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's like, now these... It's just crazy. Like, it's one of the craziest movies I've ever seen. It's absolutely bonkers. Yeah. Um, the acting is fantastic. Uh, yeah. Allison Williams and Logan Browning are both exquisite. I love them. Yeah. Um, and and I loved seeing, I loved their relationship. And I loved, what, as, as like trashy and kind of exploitive as it felt, I, I loved the two of them as a team all and simultaneously as like nemeses you're yes. never i mean it's revealed at one point you know what's really going on with them but um until that moment i was just like i was i was in going through the whole gauntlet with them like yeah it's <laughs> i was I mean, so happy for them i was shocked and sad i was happy again you know mm-hmm. yeah it's i mean it sounds so cliche to call it like a roller coaster but it absolutely fucking is like if any film deserves that yeah, <laughs> that it's... cliche it's this one it's For not sure. even a roller coaster. It's like one of those rides where like they 
put you on a couch and they slingshot you up into the atmosphere (laughs) and then you just explode (laughs) like it's it's so fucking insane it's so Uh, insane but it plays with your loyalties and your you know whose side are you on what's going on you know it leads you down one way and then says no you're wrong it's actually going down this way yeah so and ultimately i was after all the trash and all the exploitation and all the um uh, uh, various forms of assault and and dismembering that happen in this film (laughs) it's also uh really like political yeah um it's very much sort of a sort of a film of the of the Me Too era, um, yeah. And it's a it's an amazing example of a rape revenge film where the rape is not even shown. Mm-hmm. And there are several that are alluded to, but none of, you don't see any of them. Right, and there's like no sexual violence. No, but it's it's all. I mean, it's it's just until the point. Yes. And it's, you know it's, what's going like you that's the thing like when you mentioned the me too i immediately obviously immediately thought that and i'm like everybody was like oh the new halloween is the, the horror movie for the me too era and i'm like no it's not it's not at all this one actually is like but it plays with its politics in a way that while it's the central it ends up being the core of it it's not like i don't know preachy or no Ob- obvious or you know it's it doesn't just... it does it's not like it's not like the filmmakers are like and now we're gonna make the me too movie you know like right. it's not yeah it doesn't feel disingenuous about it it's right and it, it even with all these twists and turns the the trauma and all that is layered into the characters and their depictions and their relationships so that it reaches the point at the end where that it's really uh, it's really cathartic at the end super cathartic at the end like if anything i was like i could have done with another 15 minutes at the end of that movie oh yeah Um, i'm like okay so now we have our uh disabled musician prodigy lesbian avengers (laughs) like i just want them to go save the world oh my god (laughs) and they've like they've like become one unit kind of in a weird way and oh and are the ultimate musician i'd love yeah i loved it i really loved this i really loved this movie yeah it's great uh both of them are fantastic um steven weber continues to be disgusting uh i I love steven weber because he he plays he plays that smarmy kind of and here's the thing and i don't know if it's just my personal like i don't know brain or whatever but it's like you know he's the good guy for so long but still i'm yeah. like immediately like but from the first scene i'm like oh the teacher of the prodigies like all the young female prodigies at this private school uh-huh. like i just automatically i'm like he's abusing them yeah you know and then as it went on i was like oh well i guess it's not gonna go there and then of course you know it does but it's like I don't know, like, I, you know, whatever. Hashtag not all men, but. <laughs> well, thank you, Stacey, for that. <laughs> now but... we're definitely going to get midriff air. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, that's always my, my knee jerk to a, a character like that when they come on screen. Yeah. 
Yeah, no. It's like and, they, and... they have to prove themselves to like not be a rapist, basically. Yeah. Well, in this day and age, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and and when when portrayed by Stephen Weber, when it's ex- Stephen Weber, yeah. who is exceptionally good at playing like greasy. Um, I don't I don't know if it's his bone structure or his hair or those glasses. <laughs> yeah, just... I think it's partially his hair because it's always just a little too long. Yeah, but yeah. also it's like it kind of it it ties into the art world too, and it, it's like it's sort of like Vincent Castle and Black Swan and that there's that, there is that gross, um, sort of, uh, it, it's, there's a gross kind of culty thing about the art world. Yeah. And, and the, the cults of personality around it and the sort of exclusivity. And it's very, it, at times, you know, going to, like we were talking about you going to the premiere of Midsummer, or, or, or I don't know, me being at, at art parties or things. It, it feels like, you can always feel like, okay, well, where's the eyes wide shut happening in the next room? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, these, it's usually male characters most of the time. I mean, I guess you could even look at Madame Blanc that way. Uh, but it's, it's like, it's. You it, could, but. Oh, I don't mean she's like, you know, a predator or anything like that. I just mean like the, like in the fiction, and I guess it carries over into real life. It's like. They're such geniuses that you should be honored that they're deigning to spend any of their time and focus on you. Yes. Do you know what I mean? And it's just yeah. such, it creates an an environment that is so ripe for abuse. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I thought, I thought it was really, and, and the idea of abuse that becomes, because um, this film is about conditioning and about brainwashing and about grooming. Um, and that, that, uh, these characters have to have like how Alison Williams or Charlotte has to has to basically hunt a woman and <laughs> who she's in love with and and traumatize her to to shake her out of the complacency of um of the trauma that she's been conditioned into just accepting and and taking on as part of her identity mm-hmm. uh, that she she doesn't even question it anymore it's just seen as something that was part of her art education right yeah. And and that she I don't know that this that this other woman has to inflict trauma to 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 save someone is the word she uses to save them. Right. Um, yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, it's like that line that line in Suspiria when Sarah's talking to Susie about Madame Blanc and she's like, Yeah, when she turns her gaze on you You know, it's just that mm-hmm. whole thing of like yeah, just being kind of beyond reproach. And sometimes it's literally just there and, you know, they are just an artistic genius who pushes very hard and will make you be the best that you can be. And sometimes they're a rapist. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> you know? they're a rapist. So. Yeah. And and yeah, I so I thought, and it's funny, it's, this movie is hilarious to me. I can't wait to watch it again. Yeah. Um, but it's hilarious to me because it's, it is so trashy. But at the same, and there are there are guilty pleasure elements. There's elements of just like revenge and satisfaction um, and exploitation. But but it also is it's somehow deftly balances in intelligence with these things um, yeah. with the sheer shock and and silliness of it all. Right. I think the silliness helps it not be preachy and not just be another rape revenge movie that takes itself very seriously like it takes the subject matter seriously but they approach it in a way that's like bonkers (laughs) and fun 
not at all how you expect it. To not be. at all how you expect it to play out, you know. No. And I think I think that really helps it from yeah. not like you don't. I mean, maybe it just hasn't been that widely seen, but you don't hear people complaining about it being like political, you know. Me too. Oh, we need me too movies now. <laughs> yeah. Instead, people are just talking about how crazy it is. Right. Yeah. Um, so, which is it's so it's kind of a, a nice. Uh, it's kind of a brilliant little piece of subter- subterfuge. Mm-hmm. How it how it is works in all these political themes and all these like very uh i would say this is a feminist film um, oh yeah how it works all this in and and a really uh unabashedly um uh, unabashedly queer love story too is at its heart yeah there's that surprised me honestly that like like by the end of it because it starts out and it's like they're making eyes at each other and there's clearly tension you know but it just it went to not not like total exploitation but a little it just got a little like you know when they're in the theater and they're flirting quietly and lizzie's like that makes me wet and i'm like oh no it gets me so wet and i was whispering in her ear yeah i was i was laughing a lot and it like but it just it's like no they actually are attracted to each other and they actually want to be together and there's no talk of like you know what their queerness means it's just the way it is it's never an issue and that's what's shocking yeah that's another thing that's shocking about and and yeah i went back and forth with that like some of the like oh it gets me wet lines and things like that because i'm like okay there's I'm aware this is a male director. There seems to be like, there's some male gaze elements, the sex scenes. It's, it gets a little like black swan sex scene kind of vibe, you know, where yeah. it, you worry, is this just exploitative? Is this disingenuous? Uh, is this just male gaze? What is this? Um, but at the same time, it's also great that they just have these vigorous sexualities for each other. Right. Uh, and we get to see that. And it's never, it, it and it's different too. Like those scenes are very different uh, in retrospect. Like as as I'm watching them, I, I was really shocked at how unabashedly sexual it was, and their relationship was, and how loving it was just right off the right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Um, but then once there's the twist, and you find out, oh, she she's been feeding her these pills that are giving her these bug hallucinations, and she's giving her a cleaver to cut off her hand so she'll never be a cello prodigy again, and all that. Right. Then I'm like, I was instantly like, oh god damn it! Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a, it's queer baiting and blah blah. blah. But then when you get to, by the ending and you've you've been through the whole gamut with them, right? It's all you understand. Oh, that all that shit was genuine, right. and she also was feeding her the drugs and having a <laughs> <Yeah>. her hands. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that surprised me that it wasn't. I was expecting someone to be playing someone just because I had I hadn't read any specifics, but everybody who talks about it talks about how many twists there are and it goes wow wow wow. So I'm just like, okay, one of them is playing the other, or they're both playing yeah. each other or something. And so I just expected that. I kept waiting for that to be revealed. And then because at the end, we've it's, seen that film, we've seen that so many times, and it's like, but no, by the end, it's like, no, they actually fell in love. Yeah. Wow. wow. Okay. Yeah, and it's real, and that's and they're a team, they're partners, and yeah. all the way down to the point where, you know, when one of them is missing an arm and the other is missing a hand, they have to play the cello together as one, and it's just like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I love this. Yeah, yeah, play like playing a whole song. 
Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm on board, man. You got me. I love it. I, I, I just, it. I really I loved, loved it. it. Yeah. It, it's, uh, it's, it was great, a great depiction, great representation, even with chopping off your hands. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Even with poisoning, even with rape revenge, it, it, this was, I keep one, you know, I keep saying after like, I think the film revenge, I was like, okay, they never need to make a rape revenge film ever again. Mm. Um, this, this could just be the end of it. Cause you know, whatever. Now this movie's happened. People seem to like it. I still don't know how I feel about revenge. Um, but, but with this, I'm like, okay, you found a new way, you found a way to do it and actually justify why we need to watch a story about that. And, right. yes. and it was, it was so gay and I was so happy. So yeah. And, and I was immediately like, oh, now I see why Stacy says this is perfect for LGBTQ Revenge Month, because that's exactly what the <laughs> film is about. Because yeah, ultimately that's what it is. Yeah. 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 It needs to be, I hope it kind of, it, it kind of came and went on all my timelines. And But I just hope that it's some a movie that people keep talking about in terms of like yes. the queer horror canon. Because it absolutely deserves a place. And now that queer horror yes. is like... I don't know it's a little everywhere now right it is i mean listen the gay lords are in rue morgue uh, <laughs> my, our friend michael Verratti at dead for filth is is producing the queer horror documentary with shutter and sam weinman directing like yeah it's it's it's, it's all it's, over the place it's a hot time for queer horror it's great yeah so i just hope that this movie gets its place i guess yes it's also it's kind of that pro con of it's a benefit when we talk about streaming services it's a benefit um of netflix making films like this because i don't feel like this film would get a theatrical release or would be made for theaters yeah Uh, i don't think someone would be confident in this story um yet it's also sort of the downside of that is that things just come and go and die so fast on netflix and they don't know how to advertise their own material right um, well they're just constantly there's constantly like 600 new movies and shows like every day yeah exactly and so it's just like that hopefully like you said this uh this survives past the streaming half-life because it's it's just so good (laughs) it's so good it was so it was really just entertaining and that's why i just like i don't know i watched it without taking notes i watched it without any intent and then after it was over i was like clearly we need to fucking talk about this like anthony has to see this movie yes but but it was just like it's just so nice to just be entertained (laughs) yeah (laughs) which seems so simple but yeah, and a movie that that it can entertain me and feel trashy, and yet be about things that are very close to my politics and my heart. Um, right. So it was, and that's what queer horror does well, uh, yes. and that's why I like queer horror. So it it's it's yeah, it's absolutely I think one of the one of the great new entries in the genre. Yeah. Um, while just being a really fun, silly, insane good time. Yeah, it's insane it's insane completely certifiably bonkers yeah which it turns out are the only kinds of movies i ever want to watch anymore. <laughs> they're fun yeah they're fun. and uh it's actually made a better in, in a way like teaming it up with a night warning oh my god this is, which your is... First, this is your first time seeing night warning right Oh my god. Literally just finished it before we went to record this. And yeah. I am speechless. 
Yeah. And I do, I was like wondering, like, as I was starting, I was like, should we be teaming up with this with the perfection? And then now I, I, I'm actually kind of happy we did. It's a, yeah, they make it kind of sense. Yeah. They're two, uh, they're both shocking. They both are very ahead of their time, um, or, or just honest for their time in their depictions of queerness. Yeah. Um, and they are great films about, punishing homophobia and and enacting revenge for the things that have been done to queer people Mm -hmm. um and i loved it how do okay so night warning 1982 um also known as butcher baker nightmare maker Uh, (laughs) which is just like a crazy title (laughs) where did that come from but also what does the title night warning mean like (laughs) it's not like things only happen at night yeah, no, they they had no idea how to title this film or market it apparently because it's it's only on VHS. Yeah. Uh, oh, I got it. There's a isn't there a Blu-ray? If, didn't Butcher Baker just get a Blu-ray? Oh, there was a Blu-ray release, but it was like I want to say it was like Code Red or one of those, but um, it was it was like a very limited release, and you can't purchase it for less than like four hundred dollars anymore. Uh, I think. Okay listeners i know you're good at finding these things that we don't know for sure about so if there is a a blu-ray just send it to us (laughs) (laughs) okay (laughs) thank you thank you yeah because i watched my i have it on vhs and i watched watched that obviously and there were a couple of scenes that were so dark i was like i wonder what she's doing there oh yeah there were some scenes in youtube where i was like i'm just gonna guess susan tyrell is hiding behind that tree (laughs) because (laughs) i cannot tell what the fuck is happening oh boy and yet it still shone a beautiful light down into my heart oh good (laughs) it's crazy i loved it i mean granted i'm a huge fan of susan tyrell like like anyone with a pulse should be oh my um, god one of my fucking kind man wow they do not make them like that anymore no and no. i i you know i fell in love with her when i was a teenager when i first saw forbidden zone for the first time oh. uh she plays queen doris the queen of hell in that and i just was like who is this glorious drag queen that i need to become <laughs> I love her. I mean, I've, I've, I, I, I need to watch everything she's done. I think I've only seen her in this now, Forbidden Zone, Crybaby, and an episode of Tales from the Crypt. Um, mm. But she, oh wow, yeah. Who? I mean, and we were just, and on the last episode or an episode before that, we were just lamenting. You know, uh, we need more lady killers, and Night Warning has a great lady killer <laughs> yeah. with Susan Tyrrell as Aunt Motherfucking Cheryl. Oh my God bonkers doesn't even really begin to describe Anne Cheryl. <laughs> like from the get this movie is just oh boy touched it's touched by an angel it really is like she it was just such a character like as an actress as a human being just such a unique human fucking being her tics her faces her expression yeah her she she does these weird fucking things with her voice. Yeah, she plays she plays and fluctuates with her voice and the cadence and the octaves. In every role I've seen, she some she kind of she plays somewhere between like uh, like a bur. She's like somewhere between like a burlesque star and like a vamp and like a troll who lives under a bridge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's a broad. She is abroad, absolutely. Like, right. I mean, I, I could see her, like, she, 
The if 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 you were to recast Faster Pussycat Kill Kill, the only other person that could play Teresa Tana's role would be Susan Tyrrell. Oh my god, yeah. Like yeah. she's she is. I, I just she Saint fucking Susan. I have yeah. no idea how to even begin to talk about her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, wow. Uh, Night Warning starts off with a very, uh, very Final Destination kind of. <laughs> <laughs> yes final destination meets like the descent meets sleepaway camp like <laughs> yeah yeah there's uh aunt cheryl's got three-year-old billy and uh the parents are going off whether well, they're going off on vacation or some shit i don't know they leave <laughs> the vacation to their death yeah and it's like they're driving along and on a twisty turny california road and the brakes go out and it's like oh no the brakes go out and then they're behind a logging truck and then oh no the log goes through the car like right through the husband who's driving but the wife just mows down his head yeah and so the car is like attached to the logging truck and the wife is screaming and then they go around a quarter (laughs) and the car flies off the logging truck and starts rolling down a hill (laughs) and then it goes over a cliff and then it gets to the bottom and then it explodes like it just kept going on <laughs> yeah when it slams into the ravine then waits a second then explodes yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. a, it's amazing it's amazing and then we literally to- for me only echoed um the like in terms of the sheer drama and over the top what the fuck really echoed that opening scene of the gay parents death in sleepaway camp where it's just the girls crying on the jet ski screaming (laughs) there's logs nobody knows what's gonna happen yeah i just i think it's the explosion at the end just had me dying because it just kept oh yeah like and the pause before the explosion it's like okay they're fucking dead do you get it Oh, and that's what I said when it just landed and, and hit the water. I was like, it's not going to explode. And I was like, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> so there good. So, and then it cuts to 14 years later. Billy's about to turn 17. And uh, Aunt Cheryl's a real creep. <laughs> yeah, she is. Aunt Cheryl is, uh, She's she's got she's got some lusty eyes. We'll She's say. got some lusty eyes for the old nephew. It's so uncomfortable. It's <laughs> so uncomfortable. Lusty eyes for the old nephew who doesn't really wear clothes in this film. Yeah, he doesn't have a shirt. Jimmy McNichol. Uh, yeah. Yeah, he doesn't have it. So it's like for Aunt Cheryl to wake him up by he's sleeping topless and for her to wake him up by like sitting next to him and gently scratching him while going it's so fucking easy that i fell out of my skin and there was just like it was some fucking silence of the lambs shit there was just like a stacy skin suit on the couch and you're just going yeah (laughs) yeah and then my skeleton crawled away yeah in embarrassment yeah it's just and the whole thing is like like she's clearly lusting after her nephew and he's clueless and he just guzzles milk that she keeps drugging for him it's just such a twisted view of motherhood right the milk yeah it is constantly feeding him milk and oh Oh. i just i don't even know this movie 
poor little little Jimmy wants a he wants to get away and he wants a scholarship. Uh, he's yeah. going to get a basketball scholarship, and and the aunt has a freak out, and she says, "Not under my roof," and and she's she's saying he's the man of the house, and he needs to stay, and he wants to go off to college, and he, with him and his girlfriend Julia, played by Julia Duffy of Television's New Heart. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Another one for our sixty-five-year-old listeners, and <laughs> visibility matters, and and it so. She uh, suddenly Aunt Cheryl has a change of heart and and she's going to she's going to let him pursue that scholarship. Uh, But first, can Jimmy call the the TV repair guy and have him come over and fix the have him fix the box? Because it wasn't it wasn't working after they put it sent it in last time. And (laughs) then we get into some real tricky territory where Jimmy comes home. She's she's basically she stabs the TV repair man with a knife. Uh, creates this whole scene, stabs him. The neighbors who just welcome, they're like those sitcom neighbors that just welcome themselves into the house at any point. Yeah, they of just the walk day. in. Yeah, at any point of all day. Even after they find a dead body the first time, they continue to just show up to this house uninvited. <laughs> uh, Aunt Susan, or Aunt Cheryl, played by Susan Cheryl, claims, uh, says that um, he tried to rape her and that's why she stabbed him. This detective believes that it was actually no good Jimmy did it. Then it gets even crazier where it is revealed that the TV repairman was in a gay relationship with Jimmy's coach, his basketball coach. The detective is convinced that this is a love triangle gone wrong, that Jimmy is gay and that he is, uh, he has the smothering mother figure and is therefore turned gay and killed the TV repairman. And he's going to prove his theory. Yeah. And we'll listen to no other theories. We'll listen to absolutely no other theories. He, this detective, has an amazing line where he explains his hypothesis, which was, the victim was a fag, the coach is a fag, and the kid is a fag. (laughs) (laughs) I loved that line. Yeah, he hates deviants. And then as this investigation goes on, as Jimmy tries to get that basketball scholarship, more and more milk gets drugged. Aunt Cheryl finds herself having to kill more and more people to protect Jimmy and and her secret, one of her many secrets. Um, and it all plays out in a, a little suburban touch of hell. Oh my god. Susan Terrell goes off the rails. Absolutely. By the end of it, when she is just covered in blood and like soaking wet. Yeah. <laughs> and making those faces and those weird fucking sounds. Yeah. Well, once she gives herself the haircut, you know something's not right. In a, in oh. a, a, you know, it's her the accused style haircut <laughs> where she just cuts her hair. Yeah, and because she thinks it makes her look younger, and it's just like, oh, honey, no. Every yeah. I love that everyone is horrified when they see it. The neighbor is like, <laughs> yeah. "Oh, that's different." And then and then the neighbor even tries to explain to Jimmy that it's not weird. And she's like, "It's all the rage." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so it's it uh it's revealed that Aunt Cheryl is actually Mom Cheryl. Yep. Uh she killed her lover many years ago and has had his body in a hidden room in the house. 
She and... keeps the mummified corpse on a bed, and then she keeps the head in a jar because she does pickle and can things. <laughs> she um, does. So she, so she has a canned head next I don't, to the bed. I don't trust anybody who pickles and cans that much if they're not like a dust bowl person. Thank you. Thank you for saying it. You know, like I'm sorry. Yeah. If if you're not if your name isn't George or something and you haven't come out of a Steinbeck novel, <laughs> yeah, put away whatever you got in that in those cans or those pickles. I don't trust you. I don't trust you. Yeah, and so uh, she just doesn't want to lose her son that she's also attracted to. I guess <laughs> so fucked up. Isn't his name Billy? I you keep saying Jimmy. Oh, well, yeah, Billy. Give us Billy. <laughs> Jimmy McNichols. Same thing. Whatever. Listen, Allison Williams. <laughs> <laughs> Aunt Allison Williams is... Uh... As portrayed by Susan McNichol. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, by the... It's really nice that Billy maintains his relationship with the coach. Even though, like, the coach resigns, the police detective is like, you need to resign before they murder you. Uh-huh. Like, forces them to, and it's just, it's, I don't know, it was, it was surprising to see it all portrayed. Like, it's, to it's see- truly shocking for 1982 when, like, what, like, at that point, had Making Love even come out yet? Where Harry Hamlin, um, husband of Lisa Renna, is, yeah. uh... He's in that three. He leaves his wife for the gay, the man, and it was yeah. like one of the first like gay like like uh, large release stories that handled homosexuality really. Yeah, but for a horror movie to handle it as well as they did is completely shocking. Yeah. Um, and, and before Sleepaway Camp, a year before Sleepaway Camp, uh, before Sleepaway Camp, and even the detective when he first shows up at the scene where Cheryl's like, "He tried to rape me," and everybody's covered in blood and there's a dead body and everything. He even asks Aunt Cheryl, "Like, you like women?" Like, yeah, the guy just really was fishing for some, yeah, some gay people to pin this on one way or another. Well, and that's what's amazing is this detective is such an outright homophobe. Yeah, he's the villain. For sure. Yeah, and ultimately, I mean, when you get to the end of the film, I mean, Aunt Cheryl has been stabbed in the heart, comes back to life, screams, pulls the life out of her heart, <laughs> is slashing the shit out of Billy. Uh, Billy has to stab her again with a fire poker, and then she finally dies. And then you think the evil has been vanquished, but then the homophobic detective shows up, is still pointing his gun at Billy, even though Julia com- is comes to after she's been knocked unconscious multiple times with a meat tenderizer and with a rock and like almost <laughs> drowned um, because Aunt Cheryl's a fucking boss. Um, <laughs> and Detective is pointing a gun at Billy and the, the, the coach shows up because the first person that Billy calls when he's crying and saying, I killed my mom. The first person he calls is the coach, who is the, mm-hmm. his is his most positive role model in his life, who he knows is gay, right? Um, and it, at this point, is an out gay character to every character in the film, basically, and to the viewer. Yep. Uh, the the coach shows up. Uh, the the coach is suddenly in danger with the detective. Billy uses a poker and knocks the gun out of his hand, takes the gun, and then the co- the detective's like, "Oh, you're not going to do it," and Billy shoots him three times. Mm-hmm shoots him dead and it's like in this film this guy this fucking detective was so held with the line the victim was a fag the coach is a fag the kid is a fag and i'm gonna prove it like 
his homophobia and his like it's it's truly it's a condemnation of toxic masculinity in 1982 yeah. where he is he is punished for being the for being the homophobe and punished by a straight kid yeah everybody who hates really him. loves his gay coach yeah yeah everybody hates this cop all of his fellow cops hate him his, like his office like he has big ox horns on the wall like the cattle horns yeah and he's got his german shepherd he's got his oversized gun like his total and he's just such a man's man yeah and everybody hates him and so when billy shoots him at the end the other cop on the scene is like all right (laughs) yeah and he he just lets julia go and run up to billy and hold him as he cry as he sheds a single tear uh, yeah. because he's because Billy who is a jock who is a basketball player who is a uh, kind of uh male gaze throughout this film and barely wears clothes Billy is allowed to have feelings mm-hmm. and is al- and not only cries over having to kill his insane mother slash aunt but then cries over the fact that he just killed this guy um but he had to do it to protect his coach and Correct. himself yeah and it's it i have never seen i mean on several levels like one the tv the idea of that tv repairman being gay and being in a loving relationship with this coach yeah is like kind of amazing i was reading about how some scholar somewhere film scholar at the time said that this was or up until the the point of them writing whatever they were writing this in said that this was one of the, the like the first if only depiction of a blue collar like bumpkin gay person in yeah film. <laughs> yeah uh then we get the coach who is like and even with that he's like hey billy why don't you come see me after you shower and like <laughs> billy is half naked the whole movie and when he interacts with the coach but there's never like an implication of uh like in the same way that aunt cheryl aka the kid's guardian is always lusting after him you never get that from the coach right yeah even uh the school bully uh billy's teammate played by a young bill paxton in one of his earliest roles wait really yeah you didn't notice no youtube man i couldn't Uh, tell who was who yeah i could see that's nuts i love that yeah, it's very much like his character Chet in Weird Science. That same sort oh, of yeah, yeah. how he did the bully so well. You know? mm-hmm. Hello, Bill Paxton. Yeah, Aww. he's yeah, R.I.P. I loved yeah. him. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he tries to goad Billy by being like, Oh, you spend a lot of time with the coach, you know he's a fag, right? And Billy's like, Yeah, so Yeah. Yes. Like it's just treated so casually and so normally, and the person who has a problem with it is the big villain. I mean, besides the crazy Aunt Cheryl, yeah, but, you know, but uh, the big villain is the homophobe that nobody likes. Yeah, and the fact that that this is a film from I, I keep saying it. This is a film from 1982, uh, which I looked up was the same year Making Love came out. Okay, um, this is a horror the, film too. Like, which is wild. Yeah. <laughs> This horror film, I feel like, handled homosexuality better than Making Love did. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that this is... Um, the the message, ultimately, is, like, the villains are not the gay people that you're afraid of. The villains are your homophobic, your, your, your people, your men in power. Right. Who are using toxic ideology. And the villains are in your own home. Like, right. it can be your mom or your aunt who just is looking after you, who 
Aunt Cheryl, when she, you know she's talking to Billy about it, and she's like, "Oh, I talked to the detective. He told me what's his name's gay, or he's a homosexual." And she goes, "Homosexuals are very, very sick." Yeah, and and that line is coming from a woman who's basically just fondling this kid throughout the whole movie and drugging him. This the um, the best scene of the movie is when she's force feeding him the milk and she just drops her affect and goes, "Drink it." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's, like, it's that's why it's very telling that it's constantly milk, right? Like, yeah, mm-hmm. it's like, and that's that's what's just just nuts that it's like turning around this idea of who the monster is. Mm-hmm. Uh, on, and putting it on the family unit, putting it on authority. Right. Um, it's wild. It's and and it is trashy. It, it this is also why it fits great with the perfection because it is trashy. It is cuckoo bonkers. Mm-hmm. But it also has this really strong, uh, kind of so far in other other films unseen uh, societal message. Yeah, it's shocking that it's from 1982, and that it's a yes. trashy cuckoo bonkers horror film that would have this message and be so bold about it it's not that we have to like really go looking it's like it's all pretty on the surface you know yeah and what i love about this and the perfection um they're both crazy they're both fun they're both horror films they're super watchable they follow the things that the the tropes that make horror films exciting Mm -hmm. uh Night, I mean, you get to watch Aunt Cheryl and Susan ham it the fuck up. I mean, in, 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 yeah. as amazing inspired character actor, yes. Um, but hamming it the fuck up. And she she's hitting people with meat tenderizers. She's chopping <laughs> off hands and necks with machetes. She chops off heads. She's uh, gutting her neighbor. She's <laughs> drowning in like mud wrestling. Why do they have a barn? And why do they have a swamp? <laughs> In their suburban neighborhood. (laughs) I love it. But we get to see her go like to Friday the 13th levels of slasherness. Oh, yeah. Like once she, once the, the, once the hair comes off, basically, she's just full on cuckoo and she is one for the ages, man. Oh, those faces. And just her, and she's just red, just covered in blood. Yeah. (laughs) And just her eyes and the grunts and the sounds and the faces. Yep. And I just can't believe this film was made. And I'm so happy to have seen it. Yay. Yay. I hadn't, (laughs) hadn't, well, I hadn't watched it in a while. It had been quite a while since I'd seen it. And so I'm like, I hope it's still as good as I remember. And Lordy, it's Lordy, Lordy, look who's turning 40, 40. It is. (laughs) It is so good. I yeah. I I thought this was a these two together were really with as different as they are. Those the shared themes that they do have and the sense of of queer vengeance or vengeance on behalf of queers. Yeah. Uh, it's just it's and and the fact that it's fun. It's not like didactic about it. You know. Right. It's, yeah. You don't see often that it's revenge on behalf of the queers no that's never happened yeah that's like what what the fuck did I, have i ever seen that in except like maybe a scene where a jock is like hey that's my friend yeah <laughs> like yeah and then yeah and then and then glad gives them a media award <laughs> yeah or like the, the gay second. character ends up dead and then someone else eventually kills the killer 
you know. Like, yeah, and really. then they go, listen, I didn't like that he had butt sex, but he was good at hockey. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever yeah. line they have. Like... Yeah. And so for the, the one to save the queer character and basically take revenge for, and like to prevent how many gay characters from being beaten up or arrested or whatever by this cop who has a vendetta. Uh, And for that to be a teenage boy jock is kind of amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Not all men, right? Hashtag not all men. That's what I've learned about this episode. (laughs) Damn it, Stacey. <laughs> yeah. How about how about hashtag just Billy? How <laughs> like, yeah, hashtag only Billy. Only Billy. Only Billy, yeah. All the rest, Annabelle will take you. <laughs> oh boy. I yeah. I know. This also <laughs> featured one of my other favorite stock characters, which is the uh sassy police station hooker. Yes. I don't know if you caught her. That's the character yes. I would like to play at some point. Like uh, the homophobic cop walks in and somebody's hauling in the hooker. She's got her arms in cuffs, you know. Yeah. And the, the cop says, what are you doing here? And she says, fuck you. <laughs> and I was like, there's my girl. Important femme representation. Yeah. Femme representation. <laughs> yeah. That's one of my favorite characters. And I also appreciated uh, in Aunt Cheryl's Kitchen. I don't know if you noticed. But the uh, hanging mushroom wall art. The, I Let me tell you, I search it out at the Goodwills. The tapestry of the, the like, embroidered mushrooms, which uh, I was like, oh, yeah. that's It was also in Sweet Sixteen. So clearly... It's very important to me, the mushroom wall it, art. Mushroom wall art, close to your heart. Yeah, Sweet 16 uh, slasher movie, which isn't that great, but it does feature uh, Chris Higgins. Oh, Sorry. shit, I need to see it. Yeah, so it's worth seeing just for her. So there you go. I need to see it. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Dana Kimmel, wow. right? That, Dana Kimmel, that was her name? Yeah, yeah, yeah I think so. She yeah. made very few movies, and I don't really know what happened to her but sweet 16 that's just so weird because she's literally the best final girl of all time (laughs) like pretty much right like chris higgins is it jason and i have been in so many arguments about this but i mean i love i love jenny and i love laurie strode and i love sid prescott but chris higgins man chris higgins will never get enough credit because people just don't like her no and chris higgins she's gonna stab you she's gonna hang you she's gonna she's gonna have a fucking freak out dream sequence all while doing that yeah she'll (laughs) take a knife out of a body and stab you with it she gets it fucking done i love chris higgins and i will defend her to the end of the earth yeah definitely one of my top two final girls i i will say i think she's my favorite from friday the 13th but i oh i love her i love her yeah so sweet 16 i think sweet 16's got some native shit in it you know Oh, good. Okay. So, you is know. That, is that her trying to, is that her trying to so, bait me, Stacey? I think yeah. it's got some native shit. It's got some, you know, <laughs> you know, some of that native shit you're into. Some of that, some of that native shit. Uh, you know. And I think Annabelle's in it, too. Oh, okay. <laughs> so they. She's, go. it's Annabelle in her uh, cowboy hat lighting a smoke signal to my heart. <laughs> exactly. I'm in. I'm there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Rumorg magazine people yeah th- i mean well deserved well deserved people are talking about it 
Yeah, for sure. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well. <laughs> LGBT Revenge Month, I think it's off to a great start. So, it is. It who is. knows what you. kind of salad it's going to lead to, but I'm excited to oh. find out. <laughs> yeah, what's the revenge salad? What's the revenge like? salad full of nails? Yeah, nails, beets, and vinegar. And yeah. Some egg. <laughs> <laughs> Where's my revenge uh, parade? Yeah, where is the revenge parade? The revenge march. Yeah. That's what I want. I want a revenge march. Oh. We're all we're all dressed like a. Susan Tyrrell. <laughs> we have to cut our hair like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's just Babadooks, Chuckies, Annabelles, Susan Tyrrells. And che- cellists without cellists, hands. Cellists, yeah. <laughs> One arm yeah, cellists. The thousand cellists march on Washington. <laughs> Why did all these lesbians cut off their hands and bring cellos to Washington, D.C.? <laughs> Well, you know how they are. When they, when they love something, they really love something. So, first it was Melissa Etheridge. Now, <laughs> cello dismemberment. Yeah, they used to just carry around couche launchers. Now they're cutting off their hands <laughs> and lugging cellos everywhere. Now trending. Now trending. Oh, I love it. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. I can't wait for the rest of the month because we have some great titles lined up. We do. Uh, it's my it's, favorite it's, month. It's going to be a really fun month. Yeah. Um, it's going to be good. Which yeah. we might take a slight detour next week. Um, I mean, we have to take a detour for midsummer. Which I cannot wait to talk about. So that's going to yeah. be a, a blast. Because I, I, well, I also can't wait to see it. Unlike some people who got to go to the New York premiere. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know who you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sending Annabelle after you. <laughs> Fine. She's not going to do anything. I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, oh no, she's sitting in a chair. Oh. Is she staring into space again? How eerie. See? I love her. I love her so much. <laughs> oh, no. We have another hero, I guess. Annabelle. How Annabelle. did this happen? How okay, did it happen? Before we go any further into this delirium, do we have a listener question today, Stacy? Oh, well, of course we do. Even after last week with all the questions, there's still more. There's still more. Wow, we have some devoted listeners. Thank you, everyone, for sending these questions in. I love a question. It makes me think about things, as I've said. Oh, I don't like that. No, not really. <laughs> Fuck all you people. Well, yeah. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, <laughs> this question comes from Mikey, who we mentioned last week. Mikey runs butter cruds on Etsy. And is a plush wizard. Well, he's a wizard with the plush. He's not. A plush god, we might plush, say. Yeah, I would say a god. But do you think Mikey actually is just made out of beans? Like he's a pl- he is a plush? Made out of beans? Yeah, don't they fill plushes with beans? Did you ever do that in Home Ec? You make it and you fill it with beans? I made, mine was filled with cotton, not beans. I did a... Oh, I went to a nice school where we had cotton, not beans. Oh. 
and it was a pillow so maybe that's why it wasn't full of beans oh yeah yeah you don't i feel i don't know i feel like some people probably sleep on beans nowadays no like, good did, wait no i made a plush also what was that filled with i don't know yeah because i remember in home ec <laughs> i made what was that filled with <laughs> I don't remember. I remember my pillow was a jar full of bugs. That was the pattern I chose. <laughs> okay, wait, it wasn't, your pillow wasn't filled with a jar full of bugs? No, no, yeah, we we filled our pillows with bugs. I don't know. <laughs> Who went to the fancy school now? <laughs> no, the pattern I chose was the pillow was shaped like a giant jar and the jar was full of bugs. I I mean, who knows? Wait, this was you in Connecticut doing this little baby ponder? Yeah. That's amazing. Home ec where I learned how to babysit. Oh, yeah. Uh, learned how to make a some kind of pizza and uh, made a bug pillow. <laughs> That's, all <I> really, <laughs> That's all I really remember. And the only thing that's real, and none of it's stuck around. I don't ask me to make a pillow for you now because I don't think I could do it. Oh well. So don't ask, hopes. and don't certainly do okay, not. I won't. Don't ask me to babysit. That's number one. <laughs> Absolutely number one. Unless it's a haunted doll. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, you got me. Yeah. There we a- go. Anyway, anyway, the question from Mikey is: This is a <laughs> this, is, this is an interesting question. It's a, it's really good. It's a great question. Do you think it's more important for queer horror films to be open about their gay characters, or do you prefer when it's subtext? Oh. I have been thinking long and hard about this for years, honestly. Yeah. Well, we're only getting to the point in life where it's even a question, kind of. Yeah, like, yeah, and we're only getting to the point where we get to see queer, outright queer characters. Right. For the longest time, I, we only had subtext. That's all we got. Yeah, like where I'm watching The Perfection, and I'm like, wait, you're wait, they're actually in a relationship. Yeah. Okay. All right. So when is one <laughs> and, of them gonna die? Okay. Oh. Uh. Oh. Oh. Wait. What? Oh. oh. Wait. They're. Oh. So they actually they are in love. Oh. Huh. Do they? And where do they put the stumps? Right. <laughs> well. The question is answered in the film. The question is answered. I'll say that. So there you go. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'd say both. I, yeah. I mean, that's the, the, that's the cheat answer. It's the cheat answer, but it's also the, the true answer. Like I love, I like, I love, I've talked about it on the show before. I love surprise gay. Yes. Uh, you know, when it's 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 like uh yeah, a surprise gay. I'm constantly thrilled by surprise gay when it happens. Um, mm-hmm. obviously I like just gay. But subtext I don't know if it's because I have to use my brain more. I get to really examine a film and think about it and look for clues and all of this. And that like engages me more than just like, oh, those two gay people are kissing. (laughs) 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 You know, know, so subtext really like makes me think about the film more rather than just like, yay, homos. Yes, absolutely. And that's why I like both. I think, I think they both, they operate well in different films. 
Yeah. Um, or in like you, I think I don't I don't know if you can have the effective subtext in a film without right queer characters, right? Because that's meta text. Um, mm-hmm. Something like like Black Swan, you know, and that this sort of us talking about are you talking about discovery, the act of discovery as we watch these films and unpacking the subtext and thinking about it and like finding it um, is like 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 when we did Slumber Party Two or Black Swan or we're talking about these films as like films about queer awakening. Mm-hmm. Um, and how how much more we we or like Jennifer, uh, how much how much more exciting it is to think about as a queer metaphor, right? Um, and what what I love is it feels like it feels like there's a queer person in the film winking back at you and just at you, mm-hmm. and it's like it's like the Ryan Gosling meme of like, girl, I see you, <laughs> you <laughs> yeah, know? Yeah, uh, it it feels kind of more special because then you're and that you're in on the joke and to that end it's it feels more queer honestly mm-hmm. or it feels more his it feels more historically in line with uh the queerness i think that we both sort of come from where uh it was like we were talking about earlier glances down hallways yeah where it was it had to be coded and it had to be it had to survive in silence um t- to survive yeah. Because the only other option is social ostracization or death. Right. Um, so it's like that queer subtext. And this is something I, as a film programmer, this is something I always run into with queer horror where it's like, do I show films that are just made by queer makers? Do I show films that are have outright queer characters? Or do I show films that I feel like are also, even if they don't have either of those two, are winking back at us um, because they contribute to the idea of queerness and what it is. Um but it's it's sort of like it's sort of like the flagging code mm-hmm. or polari like the gay slang language from the from the UK from like the 50s like it's it almost feels more queer if it is in the in the subtext right yeah anything that's going to make like <clears throat> a straight movie dude bro on reddit go you're reading too much into it <laughs> like that works for me <laughs> you know like <laughs> i wouldn't i wouldn't want to go back to a time when there's only subtext um mm-hmm. and like you said no, different no. stories are served in different but it's just i think it just sort of tickles my brain more and it does make it feel like you know i'm seeing a film in a specific way because i am a specific like because i'm queer so yes that's why I'm getting this out of the film. You know, some stuff is like so obvious that a lot of even just straight people or clueless people will get it. But it's like, I think A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2 is much more interesting. Than, oh. Than, you know, as it is, than it would have been if it was just a story about a gay teenager. Yeah. If he was, if he was fucking skated. Grady and all that. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know. But at the same time, like, obviously I love you know gay characters and all of that so mm-hmm. i don't want all of one or the other i guess but yeah intellectually no. queer coding and subtext and all that turns me on way more it's it's so much yeah it's so much more interesting for for the sake of seeing the stories and feeling um like a real human being yes, yes. i love i love watching the perfection and seeing two queer women in it fucking right. kicking ass and forming a plan together right i love that um but in terms of of really 
analyzing queerness, where we came from, and the languages, the secret languages that have ensured our survival and the point that that, that we could get to the point we're at now because of those right. codes. Mm-hmm. It's so much more exciting to me. And it it leads to so many more fascinating readings, like the films that we, some of the films we've looked at that we've been like, don't you feel like this was a little gay? Like, yeah, yeah. Um, like even in, a, what, what was it? The Paris Hilton one. Um, House, House of Wax. Wax. Yeah. House of Wax or like even, the, honestly, the, Suspiria. Like, yes. I've, I'm, I've had, you know, talked about that film and been like, it's a coming out story also. Like, it's a that movie is so many things. <clears throat> but it's also yes. like a queer love story and a coming and a coming out like two different types of queer stories. Like it's a love story and it's a coming out yes. story to me. Both people are like, what? No, because Susie wasn't like, I'm gay. Like they just don't. <laughs> you know? But I would say that's one where it is subtext and metatext. Mm, yeah. It's, I mean, it's, I guess, I guess a straight person could watch that and not see the relationship between Blanc and uh, Suspiriorum. I've seen, like, I mean, I've seen things where, like, two women are kissing and they're like, they're just good friends. Like, don't underestimate straight people. (laughs) And when they, you know what I mean? Or, like, in video games or anything like this, it's like a lot, there are, there's a sizable portion of the population that unless someone specifically says I'm a homosexual, they won't fucking get it. And like we've said before, it's because this is, that's treated as the default. That is how we, how people view the world. Right. Is through heterosexual eyes, um, through heterosexual history and conditioning. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. I think of um, one, one thing that I love thinking about in subtext too is not just a, but about subtext in terms of who is making the film and the queer filmmakers that are kind of writing these or, or adding in these little things. Um, one thing that I always think of is Death Becomes Her. Uh, I showed that a couple years ago and, I, and somebody was like, but what makes it queer horror? And I was like, well, obviously this is an inspiration for drag queens everywhere. Um, but, <laughs> but beyond that, like having, doing my research and programming it and looking into it, you know, Death Becomes Her was written by... Um, uh, it was directed by Robert Zemeckis. It was written by uh, David Kep, who went on to write like Jurassic Park and like Panic Room, and clearly like was the of the two filmmaker or writers that were credited with the film. He was the one that like kind of made it. Mm. Um, and then I and I, so I was just trying to figure out where is the queer that is responsible for this film, where it's basically a Universal Studios horror movie, but where the monsters are just two women with agency. <laughs> and and I was like, where is the queer that? inspired that um and i look into it and you know the co-writer martin donovan he previously did this movie a little gay thriller called apartment zero with clive owen back in like 1988 Hmm. and i was like okay so there's the queer angle and then as i was watching it with a queer audience and and this is why i love doing the queer horror series is when we watch the films with subtext you hear everyone reacting to it as we're seeing it Hmm. um and it's amazing having like 400 queer people experiencing that together, but watching death becomes her and thinking about this film that came out in 1982, that they started writing in the mid eighties. I was like, okay, this is a gay fantasy where this writer, you know, after the epidemic of HIV AIDS and the onset of that and Ronald Reagan, just completely it basically enabling genocide. Um, Where there's this concept where you can take a potion and you will live forever 
and yet and yet there are still bizarre consequences um i was like this is a gay this is a queer fantasy uh and then hearing isabella rossellini say siempre viva like live forever and that's her that's her like tagline um it it really kind of becomes this beautiful fantasy of surviving past aids for me like in in watching it in those terms and like is that kind of is that anything that anyone clued in on watching that film when it came out and was panned and received as like just this bonkers movie with two women fighting each other a lot i don't think so no no but it's like it's that kind of exploration that makes the subtext so much more exciting to me Mm -hmm. uh and i just i love it i love it i i i wonder what it will be like will that subtext i feel like it will continue to be important right because Anytime we want to tell stories that the mainstream can't handle, we need to have the subtext in there mm-hmm. to to tell everyone else how we're really feeling. Yeah. And I, I doubt we'll be at a place where we, we really are, have moved past that. But as we begin to see more and more representation in these films, I, I would still like to continue to see those Mm-hmm. some little tools and little bits of subversiveness come out right but i also think it, it also is good in that it fosters communication about art and it teaches you how to read film and all of that yes I, you know like i would hate for any of that to kind of get lost because people just simply don't have to do it anymore really you know? yeah if they just yeah yeah stop yeah. at the surface which there's always going to be exceptions and whatever you know what i mean uh not all young people hashtag or whatever (laughs) thank you (laughs) but i just you know i just it's we're entering an age where it's like film criticism and art criticism is like we've talked about it before how it's being kind of poo-pooed i guess Mm -hmm. with this direct relationship that artists have with their audiences where it's just like you know oh a a review of somebody's album isn't great and then that person's going to lash out at the reviewer on twitter and then their fans are going to go after them and it's just like we're not thinking critically a lot like it's we're that's i don't know criticism isn't central to the cultural conversation anymore no and well and that's why i that's why i despise rotten tomatoes yeah is yeah like it's this, this aggregate scoring and and ranking of films like anytime you're doing applying stars or things like that i'm like how do you how do you do that to a painting right or yeah. a dance piece like i can say i didn't like the piece or i didn't respond to it but it just it it that's not how that art doesn't function uh in mathematical terms no so that aggregate scoring doesn't mean anything. That number doesn't mean fucking shit. And it's like, even though, you know, I think Siskel and Ebert were the first ones to like really popularize that sort of like with the thumbs up, thumbs down for movies. Yeah. However, that film also taught young people, especially who were watching it, like how to talk about films. They didn't like yes. you got the entire context and where their judgment was coming from. It wasn't just yes. seeing a picture of a thumb pointing up or pointing down and being like, oh, well, I guess it's not any good then. Or, oh, I guess it's a great movie then. It's like you actually heard their reasoning and they talked about the movies like in depth on a review yeah. show. And now it's just like, I don't know. What's the movie doing? Oh, let's look it up on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, it's only got a 66 percent. Oh, well, that doesn't yeah. tell you yeah. anything. And how many movies no. do we love or are considered even genre classics or whatever are rated very poorly? 
Yes. Yes. Suspiria. Like, how the fuck? How well does Suspiria fare? I don't even want to know. Like, and I no. I and it's a gorgeous art piece. Yeah. Um, and that's like that's and that's the thing is like as criticism continues to be poo pooed, as people are our way of reviewing things and our way of uh our understanding of criticism is less about that and more moving towards this aggregate or moving towards um there there's sort of a death of yeah of critical thinking yeah <laughs> which is i mean and that ties into the internet into he- into reading headlines instead of reading content mm-hmm. um ties into sound bites into talking heads the 24 7 news cycle it's it's oh i sound like andy rooney now but it's I, I you can't help but feel like you're just like well this is you know you're just not catching up with the times like i understand that people consume media differently and etc yeah. etc et but it's just like it's all coming down to algorithms and a percentage number and whether it's got a green splat or not on a fucking aggregate website that yeah. how many people are going on rotten tomatoes and being like all right well let me actually see what these reviews are where are they mm-hmm. coming from? What is this reviewer's sensibility like? Like you knew if you watched Siskel and Eber, you knew what kind of movies they liked and didn't like and where their opinions were coming from. Even though they were able to kind of think about film in a general sort of way, they still had their biases. Obviously, all reviewers do. Yes. Yes. So how many people yeah, are I going was... on Rotten Tomatoes and being like, okay, well, the green splats are coming from these reviewers. I'm going to read their reviews and see what they have to say. Or do they just look at the percentage and write something off or decide that it's a good movie worthy of their time? Yes. Fuck Rotten Tomatoes. Fuck Rotten Tomatoes. Thank you. I, that's why I only go to Stacy Tomatoes. <laughs> Stacy Tomatoes says no green splats. Annabelle is a masterpiece. <laughs> <laughs> that's the only review i need <laughs> yeah yeah because i am the future um yeah it's 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 really sad uh and it's it's interesting because like i i, I was enraged watching um the dead don't die earlier this week i i went and saw that and that movie's getting horrible reviews yeah and the rotten tomatoes is not friendly and I, everyone that I talked to in the theater was like, oh, good luck, as I went up to go see it. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I loved it. Um, and I, I could see people that just want to watch a zombie movie, and then they get something. Like, I felt I felt like I was watching one of the first zombie movies to do what Romero was actually doing uh, since Romero passed. Or, well, really, since Day of the Dead. <laughs> where it's like, I was watching a zombie movie about climate change. Mm. And... <laughs> Uh, I thought that was really exciting and interesting. And, but I wouldn't have known that had I just looked at the 55%, whatever green splats. Right. Exactly. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, I, I am very, as much as I talk shit about having gone through art school and the student loans and the uselessness of a lot of it, I'm really, I'm really glad that I, uh, had an arts education that was spent with, critique and a lot of time of at looking at at what what is functioning here what is being said who does it benefit and why right yeah um and even just like the bit like the very basics of critique like i mean yeah you know in art school it's like okay we're gonna line up everybody's shit and we're gonna go down it and you can't just say i like it or i don't like it it's like you you need to be able to articulate like what what do you see what do you see and what, you know, what speaks to you? What doesn't speak to you? What do you, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, they wouldn't allow Rotten Tomatoes. They wouldn't allow just a thumbs up or a thumbs down. 
you know and, mm-hmm. and i get it maybe sometimes you don't have time to read a whole big thing you just want to know but like then fucking just go see the movie what else do you have to do go spend your fucking seven dollars and see the movie and decide for yourself yeah yeah and yeah. like and reviewers like i said they all have their different voices and so i can see an opinion from someone and if i've read enough of their reviews i know whether to disregard their opinion or not because what i like isn't what they like yeah absolutely you know i just i love the review of the shallows that the new york times had where he spent the the reviewer spent the entire review talking about how he thought blake lively was um uh kate hudson He didn't talk. He didn't tell me that the whole movie was also Blake Lively talking to a seagull named Steven, and I would love it. <laughs> <laughs> Instead, he just brought in his own biases from his identity and as and his look at how he objectifies women. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's another uh, result of the internet is that you know everybody's a movie critic you can start and i say this it's so i say this as someone who started a, a fucking movie blog on a whim with like i mean yeah i had like art. damn it stacy you're patient zero i'm patient zero <laughs> like i you know yeah i went to art school like i know how to talk about art i think but like i hadn't written extensively certainly about film and all that like i just fucking did it and i've never said like i'm you know whatever it's a blog like you know, yeah, yeah, I've written for a lot of other places too, whatever. But but I just mean like there are so many people and everybody acts like a critic. And you even look at Rotten Tomatoes and you're like, who the fuck is this person? Mm-hmm. Like, we just don't take criticism seriously anymore. And No. So, of course, it's all just an aggregate and an algorithm. And, and, that. and that's terrifying. And it's the death of critical thinking. And no wonder Donald Trump is president. <laughs> right. Well, I think it extends into other areas. It definitely extends into politics. And, yes. you know, all these other things is people don't connect dots. They don't look at context. Yeah, because if you read, if you read about fucking Pizzagate and Hillary Clinton. Right. Then you're going to, and you believe the things that you're reading on Facebook that Russian bots are being, are putting on your timeline. Right. I think if a lot of, you know, Republican voters actually connected dots and thought critically, they would realize that voting Republican is probably voting against their own interests. Yeah. And Democratic voters, too. Yeah. Like, if we dropped some of this moral purity bullshit, maybe maybe we'd think about maybe we shouldn't uh, vote for the third party candidate. Maybe we should vote for the one who's up against the guy that's going to build a border wall who's a professed rapist. I, you like, know, well, I guess she's not third party, but I hope you're not trying to talk me out of voting for Marianne Williamson because... Oh, Stacey, I was going to open... Thank you for bringing it back because I was going to open talking about how I am 100% in Marianne Williamson's <laughs> camp now. <laughs> <laughs> I got my crystals lined up. I got my Enya playing. I am ready Listen, to sail I'm, away, sail away, sail away. I am so excited to be part of the the crystal one percent. Like I, <laughs> I love Marianne Williamson. <laughs> we were watching videos of her last night, and we're like, she's insane, but everything she's saying is true. <laughs> like, <laughs> What a time to be alive. I'm going to call up the governor of New Zealand. I'm going to say, girlfriend, you're mine. (laughs) (laughs) Love her. She's what we deserve. That said, I am, I'm definitely a a Warren Harris, uh, Stan. Yeah. Um, Oh yeah. yeah. 
but but that said i am a, a moon in marianne williamson <laughs> and i i i hope there's a cabinet position yeah. for less sage or something <laughs> i love her yeah she can sage the white house <laughs> for whoever's next it's gonna, it's gonna need it it's gonna fucking just burn it down right oh wow anyway uh, what a great question, Mikey. We yeah. went so many places. But... I love subtext. Subtext, man. It's critical thinking. It's oh, it's some exciting stuff. It's sexy stuff is what it is. Honestly, nothing feels sexier than getting to chart your red string around the subtext. It's true. Right? Mm-hmm. It's just sexy. It, like, it's, it is. I that's what gets me. That's what gets that's my what go. That's what gets me going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. So, so thank you, Mikey. Thank you for that fantastic question. Yeah, indeed. Wow. Well, all of our all of our listeners, there are no wrong answers. However, you're all wrong except Mikey. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, well done. Yeah. So uh, next episode, midsummer. Midsummer. We are gonna come at you hot and hard from Sweden. Wow. <laughs> Someone's <laughs> horny. Listen, we got talking about critical analysis, yeah, and now I'm like, I, know. I got my goose pimples. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm good to go. Time to wank. I can't. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my throat. Ugh. Well. Wow, for a haunted tome made out of skin, it's so loosely structured, yet informative. I know, right? Uh, Is it over? It's glowing and spinning on its own, so I'm gonna guess yes. Ah, Oh oh my my god! God! Oh Oh my my god! god!